I saw her today at the reception A glass of wine in her hand I knew she was gonna meet her connection At her feet was a footloose man You can't always get what you want Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, friends and family, to In Pod We Trust, the number one podcast in the world about the past and the present, war and peace, law and life. I'm your co-host, Sam Desai, and what you just heard was, once again, yours truly, I know, I know, I should have a record deal by now, performing You Can't Always Get What You Want by the Rolling Stones. It's a song that in some ways encapsulates the Stoic philosophy. Life doesn't always give you what you want, but it always, always gives you what you need. But before we get any further, first things first. Unfortunately, I'm flying solo today. I haven't been able to chat with my friend and co-host Nick Danby for about a month now. And that's because, as you may remember, he's an officer in the United States Navy. He's been deployed on the high seas, and so he's been incommunicado since May. I know because I know Nick that he is working very hard wherever he is. He probably has his nose to the grindstone right now. So let's all give Danby a big salute for serving our country, and hopefully it won't be too much longer before we hear from him again. I've been pretty busy myself, a lot of work, a lot of travel, a lot of partying, New York, DC, Miami, Boston. But I'm very happy to be back today with part five in our series on the great speeches of history. And this is going to be part one of a two-part mini-series on Stoicism, which is an ancient philosophy that means a lot to me and Nick. Now, the oldest speech we've discussed in this series was the Apology, delivered in 399 BC by Socrates. Though we did mention a slightly older speech, Pericles' funeral oration, 431 BC, in the first episode. Now, in this fifth episode, we're circling back to the present. The speech today was delivered in 2017 by John G. Roberts, the Chief Justice of the United States. It's a speech that is deeply stoic. It teaches us how to use obstacles and setbacks as fuel for our fires. And it'll give me another opportunity to wax philosophical about how to live the good life. So without further ado, let's get into it. Roll the intro music. We choose to go to the moon. Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. I have a dream today. In pod, we trust. I'll tell you about Stoicism in a second, but I want to start with the speaker and the speech. The speaker is John Roberts, the current Chief Justice of the United States. And the speech is a commencement address he delivered in 2017 at his son's eighth grade graduation from the Cardigan Mountain School in New Hampshire. <laughs> what a lucky audience. To me, even though it was delivered to a group of eighth graders, this is easily one of my favorite speeches of the 21st century. It's a really elegant expression of stoicism by a very eminent and decent public servant. Now, who is John Roberts? Well, he was born in Buffalo, New York, and he's double Harvard, Harvard College, Harvard Law School. 
After law school, he clerked for a Supreme Court Chief Justice, William Rehnquist, and then he was a practicing lawyer. He spent time in public service in the Reagan and George H.W. Bush administrations, and he spent time in private practice as a Supreme Court advocate, someone who argues cases before the justices. And he was the cream of the crop, the best advocate of his generation. Eventually, he was appointed as a judge to the D.C. Appellate Court. And in 2005, when William Rehnquist passed away, he replaced his former boss as the Chief Justice of the United States. His 2017 speech has come to be known by the title, I Wish You Bad Luck. It's a quote from the middle of the speech, and that's exactly where I want to start, because it's so good and it's so unconventional. Here's what he says. Commencement speakers will typically wish you good luck and extend good wishes to you. I will not do that, and I'll tell you why. From time to time in the years to come, I hope you will be treated unfairly so that you will come to know the value of justice. I hope you will suffer betrayal because that will teach you the importance of loyalty. Sorry to say, but I hope you will be lonely from time to time so that you don't take friends for granted. I wish you bad luck from time to time so that you will be conscious of the role of chance in life and understand that your success is not completely deserved and that the failure of others is not completely deserved either. And when you lose, as you will from time to time, I hope every now and then your opponent will gloat over your failure. It is a way for you to understand the importance of sportsmanship. I hope you'll be ignored so you know the importance of listening to others. And I hope you will have just enough pain to learn compassion. Whether I wish these things or not, they're going to happen. And whether you benefit from them or not will depend upon your ability to see the message in your misfortunes. It's an extraordinary passage, both stylistically and substantively. And we'll come back to it in a moment. But to fully understand that paragraph, we have to understand Stoicism. So let's go there next. What is Stoicism? Stoicism is a philosophy from ancient Greece and ancient Rome about the best way to live your life. Stoics want to be virtuous in a world full of vice. We want to be productive in a world full of idleness. And most importantly, we want to be happy in a world full of tragedy and despair. This philosophy was founded in Athens by a philosopher named Zeno around 300 BC, so around 100 years after the trial of Socrates. But the two figures I really want to discuss are Seneca the Younger and Marcus Aurelius. You can think of them as the dynamic duo of Stoicism. They're the two most interesting and central figures. They were both men who were playing at the very top of Roman politics, but it was their philosophical writings that were their most lasting contributions to humanity. Let's start with Seneca the Younger. Seneca is how I got into Stoicism in the first place. I read his moral letters my senior year of college every night before I went to bed. It's one of just a few books that has completely changed my worldview. Seneca is a Roman statesman, very noted for delivering great speeches in the Roman Senate. But in 41 AD, he's accused by the empress of having an affair with Julia Lavilla, the niece of the emperor Claudius. And so the emperor exiles Seneca. He has to go to the island of Corsica. And that's where he first starts writing about Stoicism. But the story doesn't end there. While Seneca is in exile, 
the empress herself starts having an affair with the Roman senator. The emperor Claudius finds out, he puts the empress to death, and he marries a new empress, one of his nieces, Julia Lavilla's ruthless sister, Agrippina. Agrippina convinces Claudius to let Seneca come back to Rome and serve as tutor to her 12-year-old son, Nero. Four years later, according to the ancient historians, Agrippina murders Claudius by arranging for him to be served a plate of deadly mushrooms at a banquet. With Claudius dead, she names her 16-year-old son Nero the emperor, and Seneca becomes the closest advisor to the most powerful man in Rome. Now remember, Nero is just 16 years old, so Seneca has a lot of influence. But after a few years, Nero comes into his own. Seneca loses Nero's favor, and Nero becomes increasingly erratic and tyrannical. He has his rivals executed, including his own mother, the one who killed her husband so that he could be emperor in the first place. And in 65 AD, Nero learns about a conspiracy against him. Some say that the conspirators wanted to assassinate Nero and install Seneca as the emperor in his stead. When Nero learns of this plot, he orders Seneca to commit suicide. So just like Frankie Pentangeli in The Godfather Part Two, Seneca sits in a hot bath, opens his veins, and bleeds to death. And just like Socrates, Seneca remains unperturbed as he was dying, even as he was surrounded by crying friends. The other member of the dynamic duo is Marcus Aurelius. He's the 16th emperor of Rome, 161 to 180 AD, around 100 years after Seneca commits suicide. As you can imagine, as emperor, Marcus has to deal with a ton of stress. There are wars on the frontier, there's a revolt within the Roman army, and there's the death of his wife in 175 AD, not to mention all the slimy characters that he has to deal with in his court. Schemers, sycophants, backstabbers, you name it. Now, Marcus is a practicing Stoic, and so to keep himself calm and happy and to deal with all the stress, he journals about Stoicism. He never intends for these writings to see the light of day, but somehow this private journal of the emperor is preserved and passed down over time, and today we know it as the Meditations. It's probably the single most influential text of Stoicism. It's influenced leaders from the Founding Fathers, to Teddy Roosevelt, to Tom Brady. So those are the lives, the spectacular lives, of Seneca and Marcus. And with that background, I think we're ready to actually discuss the principles of Stoicism. So what exactly was this philosophy that allowed Seneca to remain unperturbed even in his final moments, that helped the most powerful man in Rome stay calm and tranquil? I like to summarize Stoicism with five concepts or principles. The first is in your control versus out of your control. If you're an archer, you can control how intensely you train. You can control what bow you use. You can control what target you aim at. But you can't control a sudden gust of wind. You can control your process, but you can't control the outcome. This is called the dichotomy of control. And if there's just one thing you take away from this podcast that I think can change your life, this is it. Some things are in your control. Most things are out of your control. Your thoughts and your actions in the present are in your control. But everything else, what other people think of you, your regrets from the past, your worries about the future, all these things 
are out of your control. The Stoics say, focus on what's in your control and accept that you can't control the rest. That's the only way to be your most productive, virtuous, and happy self. The second concept is you versus Lady Fortune. In ancient times, there was a great king named Croesus. One day, Croesus is visited at his magnificent palace by Solon, the Athenian statesman. Croesus is very proud of his power and his wealth. He can't help but show off to Solon. He takes him to room after room in the palace. He opens treasure chest after treasure chest. The problem is, no matter what he does, Solon never seems to be that impressed. So finally, Croesus asks Solon, have you ever known a man happier than me? And Solon says, yes, I once knew an honest man who took care of his family. So he says, look around you, look at my immense fortune. Do you not consider me happy? And Solon has a very interesting reply. He says, O king, observing that human life is ever subject to all sorts of vicissitudes, we are forbidden to be puffed up by the good things we have or to admire a man's fortune while there is still time for it to change. For the future which is advancing upon everyone is varied and uncertain. To pronounce any man happy while he is still living and running the risk of life is like proclaiming an athlete victorious and crowning him while he is still running the race. Solon was talking about the wheel of fortune. Of course, hard work and merit are part of success. No one would deny that. But what people underestimate is that a lot of success in life is just plain luck. Being born in a certain place or in a certain class, knowing the right people, being in the right place at the right time. Stoics recognize that Lady Fortune gives us a lot. And Stoics also recognize that fortune is not in our control. That what Lady Fortune has given, she can take at the snap of a finger. You may be rich, popular, and healthy today, but you never know when Lady Fortune might strike. So Stoics are always preparing for Lady Fortune's attack. How are they preparing? Well, that brings us to the third concept, needs versus desires. There's a man, let's call him Gatsby. Gatsby always flies first class. Problem is, his neighbor always flies private. Gatsby just bought a mansion, but his neighbor just built a mansion on the beach. Gatsby drives a Rolls Royce, great. His neighbor drives a Bugatti. You see, the problem with desire is that it's infinite. Desire goes on forever. If you desire riches, fame, status, the treadmill never stops running. You'll never win, so you'll always be unhappy. The opposite of desires are necessities. Desires are infinite, but necessities are limited. You don't need much to live according to nature. Food, water, shelter, that's it. Another problem with desires is that they're at the mercy of lady fortune. You might lose your money in a stock market crash or lose your popularity because you said the wrong thing. But the necessities are always within your control. And in fact, Seneca recommends that if you do live with luxuries, as we all do, that you practice giving them up from time to time so you know that you can live without them. He recommends practices like fasting and exposing yourself to cold weather. He calls it practicing for poverty. The fourth concept is perception versus reality. 
the Buddha said, all life is suffering. Marcus Aurelius said, all life is perception. And Seneca said, we suffer more in our imagination than we do in reality. What they meant is that nothing is inherently good or bad. In reality, things just are. It's our minds that interpret events as good or bad. And that's what causes us to be unhappy. Here's an example. Insults are only insults if you feel offended by them. Otherwise, they're just sounds. So the wise man can't be harmed by insults because he refuses to perceive them as bad. That's why whenever Nick Danby lobbies his silly little insults at me, I don't retaliate because I'm a wise host and I can't be harmed by his foolish words. My fifth and final principle of Stoicism is memento mori. It's a little morbid, but it's Latin for remember that you will die. Stoics understand that everything in our universe is impermanent. Heraclitus said, no man steps in the same river twice, for it is not the same river and he is not the same man. The only constant in life is change, and that includes us. We need to remember that we don't have long on this earth. It helps keep our life in perspective. It goes back to what Steve Jobs was saying in the last episode. Death gives life meaning. Okay, we covered a lot. Those are my five principles. In your control versus out of your control. You versus Lady Fortune. Needs versus desires. Perception versus reality. And memento more. It's definitely not comprehensive. But I think it's a good place to start. So that was our detour into stoicism. Now let's get back to the John Roberts speech. Why do I keep saying it's deeply stoic? Look, I don't know this for a fact. I don't know Chief Justice Roberts. I'm just speculating here. But I've read the speech very closely, and my belief is that it was influenced by stoicism. Start with the opening sentences, which honestly is one of my favorite openings that I've ever seen in any speech, period. It's a June day in New Hampshire. The graduates are dressed in their best, but it's raining. Here's how Chief Justice Roberts opens. Rain, somebody said, is like confetti from heaven. So even the heavens are celebrating this morning, joining the rest of us at this wonderful commencement ceremony. This is a phenomenal opening for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's poetic. It's imaginative. Rain is confetti from heaven. And on top of that, what takes it to the next level is that it previews in a very subtle way the entire argument of the speech. How? Look, most people, if it was raining at their graduation ceremony, would say, oh, what a tragedy. Why can't it be sunny? But the Chief Justice is saying, no, this rain isn't bad. He's controlling his perception. He's saying, this rain is good. It means that even the heavens are celebrating with us. And it reminds me of another great quote I've heard. Life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. Life is about learning to dance in the rain. That's what Stoicism is all about turning lemons into lemonade, turning rain into confetti. A couple paragraphs later, Chief Justice Roberts tells the eighth graders, you are confident in facing the next step of your education, not because you succeeded at everything you did, but because you were not afraid to fail. Learning from failure is quintessential stoicism. In the meditations, Marcus Aurelius said, our inward power, when it obeys nature, turns obstacles into fuel, as a fire overwhelms what would have quenched a lamp. The impediment to action 
becomes the action. What stands in the way becomes the way. What he meant is that failure isn't bad. Obstacles, rejection, misfortune. These are all good things because they mean that we're challenging ourselves. Just like plants, we need rain to grow. There's a 40-acre research facility in Arizona called Biosphere 2. And in the 1990s, the scientists there tried to create an artificial environment that was completely self-sufficient, completely closed off from the rest of the world. And the scientists noticed something interesting about the trees in their artificial environment. They grew taller than the trees in nature, but they kept falling over before they could mature. So the scientists investigated the case of the falling trees, and eventually they figured it out. In nature, the winds keep challenging the trees. They keep the trees moving, sometimes this way, sometimes that way. And so to compensate, the trees develop something called stress wood, which makes them stronger and sturdier. But in the artificial biosphere, the trees never experience any stress. So they never grow strong and they collapse under their own weight. The most amazing thing about this story is that Seneca the Younger already knew this 2,000 years ago. In the dialogue on Providence, he wrote, Why do you wonder that good men are shaken in order that they may grow strong? No tree becomes rooted and sturdy unless many a wind assails it. For by its very tossing, it tightens its grip and plants its roots more securely. The fragile trees are those that have grown in a sunny valley. It is therefore a benefit for good men to be subjected to terrible events. Unfortunately, today we often get the feeling that failure is socially unacceptable and social media makes failure look rare. We don't really talk about the investments that lost money or the jobs we didn't get offered. We don't post our bad pictures on Instagram. So all of us, especially younger people, are getting a distorted view of the world. But of course, anybody who's ever experienced any sort of success knows that success is just the tip of the iceberg, the part that everybody sees. The bulk of the iceberg, the part that you won't see on social media, is always failure. By the way, I shouldn't say that all social media is bad. There is one social media service that breaks the mold and that I would encourage all Stoics to use. That's right, I'm talking about Mr. Party, the revolutionary music social network that lets you and your friends control the party. You know, lately I've been on an Elvis kick, the king of rock, you know, thank you very much. The suspicious minds, are you lonesome tonight, always on my mind, they just don't make music like that anymore. Well, thanks to Mr. Party, I can share my love for Elvis with all my friends, and I can see what my friends are jamming to. That means I've been discovering amazing new music, like Harry Style and Dojo Cat. Sign up today and make sure to follow me at SamarthPD so I can follow you back. Mr. Party, making music social. Now that we're reading Chief Justice John Roberts' speech through the lens of Stoicism, we can more fully understand that central paragraph that we started this episode with. Just like Seneca and Marcus, Chief Justice Roberts is telling us that the crucibles of life make us who we are. Misfortune is actually good fortune because failure is our teacher. That's why he's wishing us bad luck. That's why he wants us to be treated unfairly so we learn justice.
He wants us to suffer betrayal so we learn loyalty. He wants us to feel loneliness so we understand the meaning of friendship. And he wants us to experience pain so we learn compassion. He's saying it's in our darkest moments. It's through our trials and tribulations that our character is forged. And he also invokes Lady Fortune. He understands that Lady Fortune gives, that she's responsible for our success, and that she takes, that misfortune is inevitable. I wish you bad luck, he says, so that you will be conscious of the role of chance in life and understand that your success is not completely deserved and that the failure of others is not completely deserved either. Whether I wish these things or not, they're going to happen. And whether you benefit from them or not will depend upon your ability to see the message in your misfortunes. The message in your misfortunes. That's perception versus reality. How are you going to interpret the events of your life? Are you going to complain about how unfair life is? Are you going to wallow in the valley of despair? Or are you going to welcome with affection what fate sends you, in Marcus's words? Are you going to trust that everything that happens to you, everything, is part of your destiny, waiting to happen since the beginning of time? There's one more passage from the speech that I really like. It's the most practical part of the speech. He says, when you get to your new school, walk up and introduce yourself to the person who is raking the leaves, shoveling the snow, or emptying the trash. Learn their name and call them by their name during your time at the school. Another piece of advice. When you pass by people you don't recognize on the walks, smile, look them in the eye, and say hello. The worst thing that will happen is that you will become known as the young man who smiles and says hello. And that is not a bad thing to start with. Well, I hope this podcast has convinced you to become a Stoic. If you're interested in learning more about Stoicism, you should start with Seneca and Marcus. For Seneca, his dialogue on the shortness of life and his moral letters are great places to start. For Marcus Aurelius, read the Meditations, the Gregory Hayes translation in specific. And for more modern texts, Nick has told me great things about Massimo Pellucci's How to Be a Stoic and Ryan Holiday's The Obstacle is the Way. In our next episode, we'll take a break from philosophy and get back to analyzing some classic speeches. We'll look at Robert F. Kennedy's 1968 address to the people of Memphis, Tennessee in the aftermath of Martin Luther King's assassination and President Ronald Reagan's 1986 address to the nation in the aftermath of the Challenger space shuttle disaster. By now, you know the drill. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen, share it with your friends and family, rate it five stars, and write a positive review. And feel free to reach out with any feedback at podwetrust22 at gmail.com. Take care, and until next time. In pod, we trust.